0: If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. The title of today's message is this, Jesus over everything, Jesus over everything. And as we read the passage, that's going to make a lot more sense as we get into it. So the passage we're in today, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. So a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, Natalie, we, we got away because it was our anniversary. And so we booked a hotel, we looked at the price, it looked great. So we went, spent, spent time there, and uh, we, we were away for, from our kids for a little bit as well. Our in-laws were watching them, so that was a great blessing. Uh, and then came time to, to settle up and check out, so I went to the front counter. And then all of a sudden, there was all of these random hidden fees there was a room fee, there was a service fee, there was a cleaning fee, there was an occupancy fee, there was a facility fee. And I was wondering at the time I was like, what did I actually pay for when I booked it? Cuz that like all of these fees added up to more than what I paid for when I booked the place. It made no sense to me. And so many places do this that some products even advertise themselves as no hidden fees. Like it's a character quality to not deceive someone. Um, But Jesus in the passage today does the complete opposite. See, he doesn't want to trick anyone and he's up front with the cost of what it takes to follow him. See, Jesus doesn't have any hidden fees. He wants us to be fully aware of what we are doing when we follow him. Jesus tells us, and in the passage today, and this is the the big takeaway for us, that the cost of discipleship is this. The cost of discipleship is total commitment. The cost of discipleship is total commitment. Now, you might be asking, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you, and the passage is going to explain all of that, and it's this. It means that Jesus has first place in our lives. It means that Jesus has first place in our life. Look at verse 25. Now, great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, and he goes on in verse 26, but I want to park there just for a second. See, the scene has changed. Last week, Jesus was at a dinner. But now he's left that, the scene has changed, Luke has moved on, he's on the road, and a great crowd is following him. Now did you notice Luke mentions that there are crowds, not disciples. There's crowds following him. See, like the difference between a person in the nosebleeds and a teammate on the court, Jesus isn't looking for spectators. He isn't looking for an audience. He's looking for total commitment. So in turn, Jesus turns to the crowd that's following him and he says, look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Something important that we should see right away is how counterintuitive Jesus, his evangelism strategy is. Did you notice he, he sets the bar as high as possible? He doesn't make the gospel message easy and palatable. See, no matter what good desire that we have as disciples to see people come into the kingdom and to receive Christ, it shouldn't lead us to communicate a deficient or a palatable gospel. Because what we preach people, what we preach to people is what we win people to. And like Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, instead we should commit to to put away those underhanded ways and instead preach the gospel plainly. And then we trust the spirit to do his work in the hearts of people and open their eyes to see the glory of Christ. So you might be wondering what did Jesus actually say that set the bar so high? He says he must have first place over our relationships. See, when Jesus says we must hate our friends, family, and he goes on and he lists a number of different relationships, he's not talking about a carnal or a, a sinful kind of anger or hatred. See, Jesus has has told us throughout the rest of the Gospels what love looks like for a believer. Jesus told us that we should love our neighbor, and he says that that's the whole sum of God's law. In fact, uh, in another place in the Gospel, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for not loving their parents well. They've skirted the law instead of honoring their father and mother. See, Jesus tells us that our love for one another is a witness to the watching world. He tells us elsewhere in the New Testament, um, enforces this, that, that we are to love our families, that we're supposed to take care of them in our need. Just like the old song goes, we sh- the world will know us by our love. So what is Jesus saying here if he's telling us to hate the people that earlier he says that we are ought to love? Well, what Jesus is saying is that the love we have for others should look like hatred to the world compared to the love we have for Jesus. See, what Jesus is talking about here is an issue of priority, not exclusivity, priority that Jesus must be first, that we must love Jesus most. And so what that means for us as disciples is that there needs to be a reprioritization of relationships in our life. That Jesus must be first place. Everything else, no matter how close they are to you, must be second. And now for the Christian. That life of of total devotion to Christ may then lead you to do things that to the watching world looks like you hate your family. See, it may mean that you miss a a family barbecue because you're helping someone else out at the church family. It may mean that you have to confront a family member about their sin or a bad decision that they've made. It may mean holding to a biblical position about gender, sexuality, and marriage. It may mean living on less or committing to living in the city and not purchasing a house because you are committed to preaching the gospel. It may mean that you are moving your family to a a country that is unsafe to see the gospel spread and disciples won for Christ. It may mean that you deny the faith of your family and publicly declare your commitment to Jesus through baptism. These things might look like hatred to the watching world, but it is love for Christ. Now that doesn't mean that you are insensitive or you lack care or concern for your family. Because here's the thing, when you do put Jesus first, you are actually able to love your family and your friends better the way God intended as extensions and expressions of his love for us. Because when we do that, we don't make our relationships idols, Because when we love Jesus, we receive from him an overflowing fountain of satisfaction. And therefore, we don't put on our relationships the overwhelming burden of that. And therefore, because we love Jesus first, we actually love our relationships, the people in our relationships, better. See, love of God and love of neighbor are not in conflict. When we prioritize the the greatest commandment, there's one, the greatest commandment, love God. It naturally flows into love of neighbor. See, Jesus must be first over our relationships, but look at what Jesus says, even over our own lives. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, just like a stop sign obviously means stop, there was no confusion what a cross meant. See, it was a, a common occurrence in, in Rome, in the Roman culture. It was a form of execution. The cross meant one thing and one thing only. It meant death. See, the people thought that Jesus had come to save them from a political and physical enemy. But Jesus tells us that the real threat is the sin within See, Jesus is on his way right now. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he will deliver that fatal blow to our greatest enemy by dying on the cross. And Jesus tells us that if we wanna be his disciples, if we wanna follow him, we need to follow his example. So that's why he tells us this exhortation to take up our cross. It's an exhortation to die to self, to die to the desire of our flesh, to die to the desire of self-glory, to die to the desire, uh, the fear of man, to die to the desire of earthly wealth, to die to the desire of an easy life, to die to the desire of fame and respect. We put these things to death and we follow Jesus. And the path that he sets is not easy. It's a path of opposition It's a path of rejection. It's a path of persecution. But notice what Jesus says. The command that he gives is present. It's a present tense. Those who not just come to me, but come after me. This is something that as disciples, we need to be doing continually. It's a day in, day out, putting to death ourselves. It will be hard. Like Asaph who wrote Psalm 73, we can look at the world and think even in their lack of love for Jesus, things are going well for them. But, but Jesus tells us where life is really going. The Bible tells us that the Spirit will be given and has been given by the Father through the Son to help us. He will give us strength to persevere. But not only that, Jesus in his kindness, even though we have left family and friends, we have received a family, the spiritual family in the church that we can rely on. We aren't alone. It will be hard, but it will be worth it because there's a promise. There's a promise for those who do follow Jesus on this path, this hard path. Romans 6 verse 8 says this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We follow the one who has already defeated death. So to die to self is no big deal because he has the power to raise us up. The final resurrection is coming and it will all be worth it. Amen? Amen. Jesus must have first place in the life of the disciple, and there's no other option. Do you notice what Jesus says? That if we don't do this, Jesus says we cannot be his disciple. Before anyone can respond, Jesus says, hold up a minute and let me make a few clarifications. Look at verse 28. For which of you Wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down, calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, he, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying this man started to build and wasn't able to finish Now, in the same way, it's wise to assess and calculate the cost before you build something. Jesus is saying that disciples should take time to sit down and calculate the cost of following him. Now, there's a very practical application for us in this principle that Jesus gives, that before we make any major life decision, wisdom says to take time to deliberate and reflect. Before you move to a new city, before you move off to university, consider what church are you going to be part of? What relationships will you have there that will help and aid your walk with Christ? If you're taking a new job or starting a business, consider the impact that that may have on your commitments that you have already. Will it put your family to the side? If you're buying a new house, consider do you have room in your budget for other expenses? If you're considering dating someone, have you considered whether they're truly committed to the Lord? Do they compliment you but also challenge you to grow? It's wise before any major life decision to sit down, deliberate, think about it. But this is even more real, Jesus says, when it comes to the decision to follow Jesus. Jesus says that we should not make this a half-hearted decision because if we do if we don't intentionally count the cost Jesus says that it will end in disaster yeah. it will be like a house that is half built and a and a, a an object of ridicule to everyone who is watching now he doesn't stop there Jesus gives us another parable look at verse 31 Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the second parable that Jesus gives us here, he tells us of a king who is about to go to war. Now his army is smaller than the other king And so in the same way that that king needs to consider if it's worth going into battle against a stronger king and whether that battle can be won, we need to intentionally consider if we can go to battle. Now you might be asking, who are we going to battle against? And that's a great question. I'll tell you, Jesus Jesus is the king, and his kingdom is here. He's the stronger one, and his kingdom is advancing. We only have two options. We take a stand against God, but remember, Jesus never loses. He always wins. He's the stronger king. That's option one. Or two, we ask for peace. We send a delegation. We ask for terms of peace. We fall on God's mercy. And having surrendered to him and committed to the stronger king, we look at verse 33, what Jesus requires. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. We must renounce everything. That's the terms of our peace. We renounce everything to follow him. Now, following Jesus, as we've seen, is costly. That's why Jesus says to take time to think about it. And it's wise of us when we're considering the cost of anything to also consider the benefits because there are. There are benefits to following Jesus. There's a great reward because remember, even though Jesus is the stronger king whose kingdom is advancing and will fill this earth, he is also a benevolent king. He is also a kind and a generous king that he extends his hand of mercy and grace and forgiveness to those who come to him in faith. The reward he will give us is so worth it. Even as we were singing earlier today, some of it was already hinted at, that we will have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that we will have new bodies that know no decay, That we will have a new heavens and a new earth with complete justice and peace. That we will have a spiritual family here on this earth, but even more so in heaven. That there will be reunion with loved ones who have died in the faith. That there will be no suffering, no sin, no death. And ultimately this, we will see God. The greatest gift ever. But Jesus promises to us that we will see him. What we give up to follow him, like Paul says, is nothing in the light of glory. So what Jesus says here to consider the cost isn't a, a caution to see how big the cost is and run away, but to remember that the reward is much better. We consider the cost, think about it carefully, and we follow him. Jesus gives one last clarification. Look at verse 34, now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. What Jesus is telling us here is that in the same way, salt that is salty is useful and valuable, the disciple who is Truly committed, completely devoted to Jesus and following him is useful and valuable to him. See, salt was used as a preservative but also to add flavor to things. And Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth. And so that means that Christians who are fully devoted to Jesus, fully committed, are salty salt that we act like a preservative to help slow down the moral decay of the world. We do this by exposing evil and injustice. We uphold the dignity of all image bearers. We get involved in institutions to make meaningful change, that through the preaching of the gospel, we will see lives changed and transformed, not just behavior modification. And disciples, like Saul, not just preserve, but add flavor to the world. We make it enjoyable by adding to the beauty and goodness of God's creation through art and music. Those things are valuable to pursue. Reflecting the image of God by doing our work well. Wherever God has placed you, do that work well because it's his means to serve others, to bring order to the world and as Martin Luther says, a way to participate in the ongoing providence to, the, to all of mankind. And then also through our distinct way of living. That like salt, we make ourselves stand out. That's what, a salt, that's what salty salt does. That's what a committed disciple does in the world. But we shouldn't miss the warning that Jesus is giving here. See that the value and usefulness of salt is in its saltiness. But if that's gone, it's tossed out. What Jesus is saying is that the disciple who is not completely committed to Jesus, the disciple who does not put Jesus first over everything is like a saltless disciple. Jesus says he's no longer useful to him. Now that can seem harsh, but like last week, anytime Jesus tells us the truth, he does it to help us. It's grace, because it's an opportunity right now to evaluate whether we are truly following Him. Have we committed everything to Him? Are we like salt that has lost its taste? or are we continuing in the work of pr- preservation and adding flavor? It's also an opportunity then to respond with repentance or a continued resolve to follow Him. Some of us are being salty salt. Jesus says, "Keep going." You can be fruitful if you resolve to keep going in this way. Now Jesus doesn't leave us on our own. He doesn't leave us to do this in our own strength. He has given us his spirit together with the Father sent to us, the spirit who sanctifies us, the spirit who works in us to both will and to work for his good pleasure, the spirit who works in us to give us strength to die to self, the Spirit who gives us sight and vision and priority to treasure Christ in our hearts over everything. Sons, you can, you can make your way up. I want to close with this. Uh, one of, one of Shepherd's my son, his, his favorite series of books is called The Adventures of Adam Raccoon. Now, parents, if you don't have those books, you need to get them. They're amazing. So Adam is a raccoon, obviously you can tell by by his name, who's always getting in trouble. And there's another character in there, King Aaron. He's a lion who watches over all of his subjects. He's a benevolent and kind king. Adam represents us and King Aaron is a representation of our heavenly father. In one of the stories, King Aaron takes Adam on this long journey and he tells him to prepare and he's going to come in the morning to get him. When he shows up, Adam has packed up his whole house and he's ready to follow King Aaron. King Aaron gives a couple warnings, says you probably don't need all of that. It's just going to be a distraction. Adam z- insists and he brings his whole house, all of the items packed around his arms, following after him. Now throughout the journey, Adam gets distracted. He's dropping stuff. He's getting into danger, ultimately leading to him being surrounded by wolves. And then all of a sudden, King Aaron comes out of nowhere, saves Adam Raccoon. And then Adam realizes, I don't need all this. He puts all of it aside, starts following King Aaron on their journey. And King Aaron turns, turns to him and says, aren't you forgetting something? And Adam Raccoon turns back and says, nothing that I need as long as I am with you. See, to follow Jesus means that Jesus has first place in our lives. It's going to mean that the cost of discipleship is total Commitment. It's gonna be it's gonna be costly. It's gonna mean that we leave behind everything. But in light of what Jesus has done to save us, like Adam Raccoon, we can say, There's nothing that I need as long as I am with you. It's all worth it. Because if we have Jesus, we have everything. Because if we have Jesus, we have everything. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the sober reminder of a call of discipleship, the cost of following you. We pray that that you would soften our hearts to receive what you have said and that you would give us your spirit by which we can obey you, that we can resolve to leave behind everything because you are everything. Help us, even as we sing, to resolve in this way that you are better over any comfort, over any suffering, anything that comes our way, that Jesus is better. Would you make our hearts believe that? We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, Visit hopetorontonorth.com.